right, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the American Veteran Podcast. Per usual, we have AMVET's National Executive Director, Joe Shinelli, with us. I'm your communications manager, Miles Migliera, and we've got a lot to talk about today. A lot of veteran issues, concerns. Um, so, Joe, thank you for being with us today. And uh, let's jump right into it. Let's start with um, what is still a very, very popular topic in the veteran community right now, which is PACT Act. Um, Obviously, the PACT Act got signed into law uh, a few months ago. Uh, You, uh, past commander, past national commander Greg Hewn, were at the White House uh, when it was signed in to law. Um, And VA is rolling out a a lot of uh, benefits. that, that tie into that legislation. Is there anything new that's going on? Anything that you've heard of? Yeah, well, more than 200,000 claims have already been filed, um, and VA has shown that they're ready for it, which is great. As long as the PACT Act took to actually get through, the bright side of that was that VA was preparing for it. Uh, as we were outside the Senate, you know, they were hard at work in, in the VA. So uh, glad to see that. Um, one thing that they have implemented already that just started October 1st, uh, so just this month, if you feel that you may have been exposed, um, if you've been in Iraq or Afghanistan, anywhere near a burn pit, whether it's for one day or you were living next to it for a year, uh, you can go to the VA, regardless of what your um, eligibility is for other types of health care, and get a free screening right now. And this is this is really my favorite part of the PACT Act. I mean, the PACT Act is just a ton of good stuff. Um, you know, 3.5 million veterans that's helping. But being able to find potential illnesses, cancers, things like that early now, um, being able to get screened regardless of what your age is, is, it's going to save lives if people take advantage of this. And so um, if you feel you may have been exposed to something toxic, and, you know, I said if Afghanistan, Iraq, but same thing if you feel that maybe you were exposed to something um, stateside and you were, you know, at a base or you were somewhere else in the world, um, go to the VA. It's free and it, it could open up to other benefits as well. Uh, but the, the bottom line is the earlier you catch some of these things that we know toxic exposure has caused, the more likely it is that it'll be able to be treated and that you'll be able to survive it and continue living you know, high quality life. Uh, you know, speaking of toxic exposures uh, stateside, a, a lot of what we're hearing right now, not just in the the military community, uh, the veteran community, but the American public, whether you turn on a TV <laughs> or you, you open a magazine or scroll through your phone, is Camp Lejeune. Camp Lejeune, we're, I, we're ready to help. I really don't want to see or hear another one of these commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been looking into this a lot, and there are... There's some really good law firms out there and attorneys, individual attorneys who are there to help veterans. And then there are some groups out there that aren't attorneys. And this is a massive money grab for them right now. They are marketing agencies that are charging a ton of money to become a referral agency for law firms that they have not done anything to vet other than can you pay our our, our fees or not. Um, if you are deciding to um, whether or not you should file suit uh, in this, if if you feel you've been harmed, you know absolutely look into this. Just make sure you're looking, you know, the right attorney. You interview the attorney. Don't let them interview you. Um, you know, find out if they're really doing this for the right reasons. Find out what their fees are up front. You know, uh, another great thing about the PACT Act is there is a cap on how much they could charge you, mm-hmm. um, but they're in my opinion, those attorneys who are doing this for the right reason aren't going to the max on, on these charges. Um, and you know, and I would even recommend before you go to an attorney, contact your service officer, whether that's an AMVET service officer or another organization, get a little bit of uh, info from them on you know, what you may be eligible for. And it's important to look into how it may impact, if you are already a service-connected veteran, how a lawsuit against uh, the Marine Corps, for instance, you know, the Camp Lejeune water, how that may impact your benefits. There could be impacts. Uh, right now, the VA is saying that they, they don't see it, but we know that legally there are ways for the 
federal government to offset your federal benefits if you are also receiving a judgment from the federal government. So you can find our list of uh, national service officers at amvets.org. Uh, if you go to programs and services, and then it's right up at the top, uh, file a VA claim. Uh, you can learn more about what our service officers can do for you, any kind of guidance that they can provide, um, and we'll have a link to that in this podcast as well. Um, speaking of uh, attorneys, uh, real quick, uh, we got to interview Mr. Robert King. He is uh, one of those uh Attorneys that, as Joe mentioned, we, we interviewed him. He came to our convention. He spoke on our floor. Members got to ask him questions. Um, we'll talk to him a little bit more about why this means so much to him, um, how he uh, has really been following this for, for quite some time now. Um, but before that, we, we've got a little bit more um, you know, veterans' concerns and, and issues talk. Uh, and we're going to transition over to uh, a article that was written by Military Times back in September, which happens to be Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, uh, where the VA suicide report came out, uh, numbers from 2020, that indicated that the number of veteran suicides in America fell to less than 17 a day in 2020, which is a positive sign that efforts to provide additional mental health care and support service to veterans may be saving lives, veteran affairs uh, officials said. So, Joe, right off the bat, that looks very good. Uh, I try not to personally be too cynical when we we look at these reports, um, but there is a lot of context that's not always there. Um, is, is there anything in this report that sticks out to you or what are your initial reactions when you started to read it so my initial thought was giving va credit for not making this you know a big you know celebration mm -hmm. right so what the va data shows right now is that there's progress being made in the fight to stop suicide and the fight to help veterans mental wellness um, there are some questions about the validity um, of this, uh, the data here. Uh, I've been looking into it. Um, so far, I don't find problems. It doesn't mean there's not. Uh, there has been reports, and we're, I'm looking at the reports of some of the problems. I'd say that for as long as they've been issuing reports, so through several administrations here, they've always underreported. You know, the real numbers could be as much as three times what they're being reported. But we do see what appears to be some progress here. And when I started off by saying I'm giving VA credit for not making a lot of hoopla around this, um, because this is still far too many veterans, right. um, this is still an indicator that veterans are falling through the cracks, that the system is not taking care of everybody um, until we get to you know whatever a true zero number might be on this, you know, uh, celebrating um, is not good and not, not appropriate. But we, those of us who've been engaged in this, and there's a whole lot of us, and probably most all of our listeners, you know, have been engaged in suicide prevention. Uh, you should take some comfort and know that you are making a difference. And we, we did see some progress this year for the first time in a long time. Um, one more, you know, kind of caveat there is when I say this year, it's still two years ago. The VA reporting is still two years behind. Um, we're We've been pushing for a while to be able to get more, more up-to-date data, but this would be the data that's just before the pandemic. Yeah, and uh, I think it'd be remiss to not mention, uh, as I don't believe we mentioned in this podcast yet, but there's a, a new veteran crisis line number. If you dial nine eight eight and press one, uh, you will get through to someone immediately. Um, Please share that number as much as you can. Uh, you can also reach out to our AMVETS Hill program at amvetshillprogram.org or 833-838-4325. And that's a great point on the 9888 or 988. Um, it, one thing that, you know, you know, Miles, you and I and you know, the team that we work with, we advocate on the federal level. Um, a lot of our listeners are advocating on the state level. Mm -hmm. If Find out if your state is funding a call center in your state. And if they're not, you should reach out to your, your state capital and advocate for that. 
most states are at this point, but we still have about 20% of the states are not. Uh, this could be much more effective if you have state interaction. Uh, I think the 988 number is, is great. It's something we've been working on for uh, 10, 12 years. And this is to finally have it come to fruition. Let's make it as impactful as possible. It, this may be a, a bit of a dumb question, but the, the fact that it's a smaller number to tight, does that, does that help any? The fact that we've gone from seven to three? I think it does. Um, the, the concept, it's a lot easier to remember, right? I mean, I have a, a bracelet on my wrist here that you know, I've been wearing for you know, uh, 14, 13 years now. Um, and it's got the you know the crisis hotline number on. It's got the long number. The, by the way, the long number will still work if you've got that bracelet or a magnet or you've got it written somewhere. But nine eight eight, you know, it's supposed to be similar to nine one one. You know, a number that every American knows, right? Right. And we want to get to the point where every American knows nine eight eight as well. So we're reaching back a lot. We're reaching back to the month of September. Um, a couple of times we haven't September been. September was only three days ago, right? Four days ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just with with so much going on, it kind of, at least it feels to me like it was a few months ago. But you're right; it was just a couple of months or a couple of days ago. As far as a couple of weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, it was National POW MIA Recognition Day, to which uh, yourself and uh, Newly elected commander Don McLean, a Coast Guard veteran, were able to go to the Pentagon and attend an observance on that day. And you were able to speak with uh, SecDef Austin. Yes, yes. We were you know, grateful for the invitation to go to the Pentagon. Uh, it was the Hall of Heroes. Um, you know, great and very short uh, ceremony, which I, I appreciated. Um, to honor all of our prisoners who are missing in action. Um, the Secretary of Defense, Austin, uh, doubled down on his commitment to continue the efforts to find and identify and repatriate, um, re, you know, return our, uh, you know, the fallen who, as they're being recovered. Um, those operations are now back up and going. Uh, you know, they paused for more than a year, uh, almost a year and a half um, because of COVID concerns in these other countries and supply chain and all the normal stuff that we've been hearing about dealing with uh, so really thankful that they've got that back up and going um, you know we're calling on them to increase their efforts to above uh, what they were doing before the pandemic to make up for some of that lost time uh, but yeah at the end of the meeting or at the end of the ceremony I was able to uh, speak with uh, the secretary and let him know that's very important to us that we bring rolling to remember uh, over Memorial Day weekend back to the Pentagon parking lot. It's important to us because it's important to the riders. The riders have been very clear on uh, this, that this is what they want. We want to get back to the Pentagon. We want to get to the normal route. We want to come over Memorial Bridge, um, come around the National Mall, and be able to return to the memorials after the run. Um, that Some of that was not possible um, when we started RFK the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we had some uh, what became widely known um, struggles with the Pentagon. Uh, we know the Pentagon was in a tough spot uh, for those two years. And uh, this, I, I let the secretary know how important it is to us. And he told me he thinks this is going to be able to happen. Uh, he seemed, uh, he, he maybe is a little irritated of, of how some of the, the communication went over the last um you know, a couple of years, and you know, honestly, we were we were a little irritated about it too. I was gonna say it's certainly. <laughs> I don't think it was on our side, but no. And you know, understanding, we didn't always know what what their challenges were uh, in, inside the the world's largest office building. Uh, but bottom line is, we think we've got a good path forward here, and uh, I'm very encouraged by what the secretary told me. And uh, we're working through the application process now. We're very hopeful, and we um, you know we. We, we really hope we will have an announcement here, uh, maybe by Veterans Day, but uh, certainly by the end of the year, the calendar year. That would be terrific. I mean, you know, we've, we've been so fortunate to have it at RFK the last few years, um, and they've been able to go above and beyond uh, to keep this ride going uh, to help us out as much as possible. Um, 
must have been a, a little bit of an awkward situation. Probably not too much, but you know, here we are celebrate or observing POWMIA Recognition Day at the Pentagon, where we weren't, we weren't able to host the ride over the last few years. But um, if that were to to come back and a lot of the riders that transferred over from the previous ride and are now riding and rolling to remember if they're able to to ride that route again. Uh, I can't even imagine how. Yeah, it's going to be very meaningful, and it's already a, an extremely meaningful event. But I think this will really have an extra kick for a lot of people. You know, 32 years it started at the Pentagon. Um, you know, to be able to return back there after a few years of not having it there, I think it's going to mean a lot to everyone. I'm hopeful we're going to we're going to push as hard as we can here. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time. We really do need to know by November because a lot of planning goes into it. We're six months out um, in the end of November. Uh, so please stay tuned, and we'll have a, an announcement one way or the other soon. Six months out. Nothing <laughs> makes the years go by faster than when there's a few major events in them, and yes. you plan for months, and then you you know, we're, we're, we're in a lull period when it comes to rolling to remember, but it, it's six months away. And in our, our listeners, some of our listeners know, but some of them don't know how much planning really goes into an event, you know, where you have tens of maybe a hundred thousand motorcycles from all over the world coming together. And, you know, we're responsible in some ways for their, their safety and their well-being and making sure we stick to the mission and accomplish the mission. Uh, yeah, six months really isn't that much. It's going to come very fast. Absolutely. And, you know, this is this is something that we take great pride in, in putting together. And 100% we'll, we'll, we'll put it together um, with a smile on our face because it means that much. But May, for our headquarters staff that puts us together, May is... 90% focused on rolling to remember, you know, with, with other uh, AMVETS duties and responsibilities uh, being taken care of as well. Yeah, it's definitely pin your ears back month for sure. Um, so before we go over to, uh, actually before we, we go over to Mr. King, I uh, should probably mention um, for, for those that might attend our National Executive Committee virtual meeting that we're uh, we're in the process of planning it right now. Um, it'll it'll be a virtual meeting. We're we're setting up right now how that's going to go. Um, and this is I think this is a huge positive step um, for AMVETS that we're able to champion both in person and virtual meetings. It just you know it expands our organization even more. Those who maybe weren't able to attend. Uh, our winner NEC in the past can can definitely do that now, and I see that as a huge plus for us. Oh, absolutely, and um, I, I do hope it leads to more participation. You know, um, we want people all over the organization to know what we're doing here nationally. Uh, it'll be 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, you know, we're on Saturday, uh, December 3rd. You know, it's later in the afternoon Eastern time because we want to be able to ensure that our veterans who are out in uh, Alaska and Hawaii um, and really maybe some overseas as well are able to participate and, and come in. Um, this is a representative from every one of the states in which we have an organized department you know, come together and we do a briefing. Um, it's accountability, but it's the transparency, and uh, I think people will find it interesting. I, I hope they're able to tune in. We'll have the links, obviously, up, up and out once they're created a little bit closer, but December 3rd, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Absolutely. Well, perfect. Uh, Joe, before we segue to Robert King, is there anything that we failed to mention? Um, no, I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, Robert King, who I've gotten to know a little bit here and. uh um, you know, part of the reason why I end up uh, inviting him to speak at convention because he's, he's really all in on on this and uh, the personal touch that he has put with the clients that he's been working with has been uh, refreshing to see. When uh, at the same time we have all of these uh, you know heavily commercialized and uh, mm -hmm. you know mass communicating, um, you know there are some definitely some good attorneys out there who uh, seem to be doing it for the right reasons. He mentioned when we talked, um, you know, he is obviously going up in front of our entire convention in August. Um, the 
you know, Lejeune uh, is starting to pop up everywhere as, as far as, you know, it being commercialized. Um, and we talked about him having to stand in front of uh, more than a thousand people where some are affected by toxic exposure. Some are caring for someone that has toxic exposure. So you, we talked about how you really have to get this right. Yeah, he, he's taking it very seriously. That, that's You're right. That's, that's what really impressed me. Um, and, you know, it's not just veterans he's meeting with. It's their families who've already lost loved ones, too. You know, uh, unfortunately, a lot, especially on the lawsuit side of this, it, it's mostly families who've, of veterans who've already passed away because of their toxic exposure. Well, we are going to segue to Mr. Robert King now. Uh, as usual, this has been AMVET's National Executive Director, Joe Chinelli, and your communications lead, Miles Migliera, and we are signing out. All right, everyone. Today, we have a special guest in studio. We have Mr. Robert King. He is an attorney with a background in criminal defense and personal injury cases. Uh, he's more than... He's successfully handled more than 500 uh, cases in his time, and he is the founder of King Law. He founded King Law at 29 years old, and uh, he and his uh, firm right now are focused fully on Camp Lejeune and all that entails that. So, Mr. King, thank you for joining us today, and if you would, just give us a brief summary of yourself and King Law as it is. Yeah, thanks so much, Miles. Uh, so, by way of background, and not to, to bore the the listeners, but yeah, I started my career as a criminal prosecutor. I was in the special victims unit with some really wonderful uh, attorneys, bosses, and locked up people that hurt women and children. That was how I started out. Did a whole bunch of jury trials when I was a young lawyer and uh, started the law firm when I was 29. Uh, got tired of putting people in jail and started uh, helping people individually when you work for the government we did help people and I think we represented victims, but really we worked for the government and I wanted to help people. And so for the last 10 or 11 years, I've been taking on the cases that I was interested in. And, uh, that's a mix of, you know, all, all different types of cases, but Mm -hmm. specifically, obviously how we met, um, a number of months ago was introduced to a guy who had been exposed to toxic water and, um, had cancer based on his service at Camp Lejeune. So from that day forward, that was that was my focus. That's what I'm doing all day, every day right now, and that's the priority of our law firm, and it was uh, completely by accident. Um, and Camp Lejeune is another one of these toxic exposures. Uh, nationally, we've... Um, we've seen a big boost in awareness of, of uh, military-related toxic exposure, whether that be through uh, burn pits, which has been huge legislation. The PACT Act uh, was signed into law earlier this year, um, a few months ago. Uh, And that ties in several forms of toxic exposure, not just um, burn pits that were created in Afghanistan, but we're looking at uh, more presumptions and and benefits for uh, victims of Agent Orange. We're looking at uh, Camp Lejeune. Uh, We could probably be looking at a couple more in the future, just all that encompasses uh, these toxic exposures. So we talked before the podcast about um, what could be either appropriate or acceptable risks in certain jobs that you have. Um, we talked about in our military, there are several risks that you sign up for, and then there are things that you don't sign up for. So if you would, could you, I guess, um, could we retouch on what we talked about earlier before the podcast started of, of what these acceptable and unacceptable risks would be? Yeah, so we think about we're really interested every day in what happened at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1987. And there were toxic chemicals that were going into the groundwater there and Marines were drinking the water, they were showering in the water, they were going swimming in the swimming pool and they had all this exposure. And that is highly important to the families of those Marines. But when we first met at the AMVETS National Convention, you, most veterans were not Marines and most veterans were not at Camp Lejeune. So why does that matter to the entire population? And, and I think it boils down to a couple themes. And, and the theme, what 
we all know we need to take care of our veterans and whether that's homeless veterans or veterans with PTSD or whatever that is, what do we need to do to take care of our veterans who were exposed to toxic substances, burn pits or Camp Lejeune or at Red Hill or wherever that is. But so that's, I guess to me, the first question. And then the second question is exactly what you said. When you sign up, we don't have a draft right now. Uh, when you agree to become a Marine mm-hmm. or you agree to go to the Army or the Air Force, you take certain risks. We all know that. You might get shot. You might jump out of an airplane and break your leg. Mm-hmm. Do you agree to exposure to mold? Do you agree to drink the water that your sergeant or commanding officer tells you to drink? You go to boot camp, you trust in that person. You trust that they are teaching you the right way to do things, and you don't have any choices when you're in boot camp. You shower when you're told to, you sleep when you're told to, you wear what you're told to, you get the haircut you're told to. Do you agree to risk the substances that are being put in your body? And and I think most people would agree the answer is probably not. That's right. not a that's not a risk. That's not a risk that being in the United States military should entail. That's certainly not one that they thought about before joining. Yeah. The what uh, and we talked to different Marines and and I think there's a level of frustration of how do we fix these things? That's the the question. And I think so what I see our job with Lejeune is to really represent our clients and and understand the legal issues and bring these cases forward but it's also a really great time to be in this space uh, where I think we are making improvements veterans are being served better all the time and this is you know we're part of a big issue right now and is the big issue Camp Lejeune is the big issue toxic exposure Mm -hmm. or is the big issue general living conditions of our military active duty. Absolutely. So what what led to this Camp Lejeune um, deep dive? Because we were talking earlier and you said that you had uh, delved into this uh, before uh, it seemingly exploded in the last uh, couple of months. What's a what's a story or maybe an article that you read that really stopped and it, it made you do a double take and say, hey, let's look into this a little bit further? Yeah, so the story, uh, I think that's the great thing about being a lawyer is you never know. Some The phone rings. You don't know who's on the other side. You don't know the crazy story that you're about to hear. And uh, like, like all lawyer stories, it starts with a phone call. And I, I got a phone call from a woman. She's about 55 years old. And she says, um, you know, my dad is really sick. He has leukemia. He had kidney cancer, prostate cancer. And uh, we think it's regarding toxic exposure. And I said, okay, well, why do you think that? And she said, well, because the, the VA says so. And he has full disability based on his exposure at Camp Lejeune. And I had heard about it, but I had never dealt with it. It wasn't what I was working on. Um, and, and he said, well, he, you, know, you want to come in and talk to me about the, the situation? And she says, well, he can't. He, he's going in to hospice potentially and he can't really travel I said all right well I'll come out and talk to him and I went to their house about an hour away and I sat down and the guy's name is Fred um, he he lived not far from where I grew up actually out in the country and um, he talked about he went to Camp Lejeune Paris Island first and then Camp Lejeune twice and 1958 and he had his yearbook and his yearbook, he, he said, he, I was asking him questions about boot camp and exposure. And he, he, he says to his wife, go get, get him the yearbook, get him the yearbook. So she says, I, we still have that. He says, yeah, it's in the it's in the coat closet on the third shelf. He knew exactly where it was. He knew he knew where it was. I mean, this is a guy who's not in good health. Mm-hmm. He knew where that yearbook published in 1958 was. He knew where it was. She walked over to the closet, went to the third shelf, pulled out a green yearbook and he starts flipping through it. He says, see that guy? I said, yeah. You know, he, he's, he's 80 years old. There's Fred, age 18. 
Mm-hmm. And there he is. And so uh, apparently this program at Paris Island in eight weeks, and I guess all the guys in boot camp, they would produce them like high school yearbooks about, and it would it was kind of a marketing thing that they would then go show their other guys where they went on leave after boot camp and they would go back home with the actual yearbook and they would all be in it and have their uniforms on and show some of the different things they did throughout their time. Um, and I think then it was eight weeks and then they would go to Lejeune for basic infantry training. Um, for five weeks and then they would get leave after that I believe so there's Fred in the yearbook drinking the water out of the canteen wow there's there's a photo I mean I don't know if we can put it on the social I, I have the photo um, and there's these guys that are cooking and they're swimming and they're doing all this stuff you can see the picture's worth a thousand words there's right. these guys he was I, th- I think he was 17 when he went in and 18 19 years old and they're doing what they're told and um, they got really sick so I did a little digging and I looked into it and there had been some work through the VA there had been what's called the MDL a multi-district litigation that had been brought in the past and it was dismissed because of the statute of limitations and I did some investigating and I thought that the the PAC deck had legs and I thought it was going to pass and we started educating ourselves, and that's you know I think that's what good lawyers do you go out and you find something you're interested in and you learn the law and that's what we did and um, we got a lot of clients now absolutely um, we, and we talked earlier there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of uh important figureheads that wanted this to uh to pass also uh it, it really gained traction when we were able to uh get john stewart uh on board that really skyrocketed to a different level um not sure if it even would have got past this quickly or with this much support uh without him um but i'm i'm looking at your website right now um if people want to go it's robert kinglawfirm.com and I'm looking at the the Camp Lejeune page Um, there's a lot of information down here especially at the bottom with these frequently asked questions Uh, Camp Lejeune water contamination case what happened Camp Lejeune water contamination settlement amounts Uh, King Law speaks about Camp Lejeune uh, at Amvet's National Convention and you know speaking about the or talking about the convention um, you you shared with us uh, one story just now but that's not the first story that I heard from you during our convention. Uh, you shared a story about a um, a marine who, a marine veteran who uh, developed uh, just bladder issues, and and it really, um, you I can kind of hear murmurs throughout our huge uh, convention business session uh, rooms. Usually, um, this is my my fifth convention, and it. it felt very still and silent while you were telling this story. Would you mind sharing this story for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll give the forward of, so I had been working on Camp Lejeune cases for several months and, and my office is in rural area and we're doing the cases the way we know how to do them and been to some national meetings with other really smart lawyers who are handling these cases and, um, we think we know what's going on and I have a theory and I mean, the truth is I was scared shitless to go to that meeting. And, and the reason why is you got a big room for the people who haven't been to this convention. It's a big hotel and there's probably a thousand seats in there. And, and the guys that go to the AMBETS national convention, they care an awful lot about AMBETS and they mm-hmm. care a lot about veterans. And I'm not a veteran and I have been working on this for some months and I think I know what's going on, but you know, am I going to pass the test? Like I'm the lawyer, I'm the, I'm the ambulance chaser. I'm the whatever I'm, there's a lot of views about lawyers and there's a lot of jokes about lawyers. And I got the lawyer Navy blue suit on and I'm going in there and there's a lot of, a lot of men's men in this room. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, do I have it right? Not do only that, you're, you're talking about, as we talked about earlier, not every veteran was a Marine. Not every veteran was at Camp Lejeune, but um, there, there were, there were several, there were definitely, a few, and this affects them personally, and and a lot of veterans' issues affect us personally. So yeah, you absolutely have to to get it right when you're in these rooms. Yeah, and I have my own views, and I have my own opinions, and I believe what I believe, and I, and that's what I was going to deliver, right? That's what I was going to give to this group, and and I figured it's going to go one of two ways. We're either going to be right on the money, 
or they're going to say, lawyer, go home. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's going to happen, which, I mean, I was also really excited about because this was our litmus test, right? So we walk in there and, and I said, the challenge giving that talk was, why does this situation that I'm working on matter to everybody? Of course, it's going to matter to those five or 10 people who were at Lejeune who have an illness related to toxic exposure. Those five or 10 people, okay, that's great. Five or 10 people care, but what about the other 700? Um, and why does this matter to you? That was that was my question. And so the story that I told was uh, in, in the video is on our YouTube page and it's on the website also. It's So after I met Fred, I said, we do this now. This should not happen in the United States, and I hope it becomes a law, and I'll represent every one of these people. This is this is why you go to law school. I told my staff, we, we do this now. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and if we don't do this, why are we lawyers? Uh, so we put up a website that said we were interested in taking these cases, and uh, one of the guys that works for me, Greg, he put it up on, I think, his personal Facebook page. And within a day or two, he got a phone call from his best friend's mother. She happened to live in Florida. She grew up, um, uh, moved to Florida, and her her husband was a Vietnam vet, Marine Corps, been to Lejeune twice, and uh, said he was getting also, uh, he had bladder cancer. So I said, well, let me come down and talk to you. And I got on an airplane, I went down, and I talked to her. I, I said, tell me what happened. And she ta- told me all about his life and that he loved being a Marine. It was the most important thing to him in the world. And he wore the Marine hat every day. He wore the Marine t-shirt every day. And she talked about him getting bladder cancer and generally deteriorating and going through the process of getting disability benefits through the VA because of his toxic exposure. And Dawn is the central casting and I mean this as a compliment, um, the Marine's wife. And she would be proud to tell you that. I am a Marine's wife. That's what I am. That's who I love. And just to hear, her questions were the questions of every Marine wife. And her feelings were the feeling of every family involved with someone who is uh, involved with somebody with toxic exposure. So I asked her, um, you know, Don, would you be willing to, to have me video? Like, I wanna do this again with a video camera because I think that people would, um, they could learn a lot. Your experience is their experience and I think there's a lot of uncertainty and she has a trustworthiness. She's good with people, but she also has lived a lot of life. Um, she's a people person and I think she's very open to sharing her feelings and emotions so we went back and we videoed um, me and her talking at her house and so I've, I've been to Florida to see Don a couple times and and she talks about Don it's confusing Don D-A-W-N is the wife Don, and Don the Marine it, yep. it, Don's the Marine and uh, you know the story that there's a few stories, and you're welcome to watch the video on our website. The yeah, we'll we'll definitely. I'm sorry to cut you off. We'll definitely put about a, a couple of seconds of of her uh, speaking about uh, Don um, in the in the podcast here because I mean I, I sat and watched you know, the the entirety of this this video without being able to turn my eyes away just listening to her recount um, you know their their situation. sick he used to sit in the recliner and I would walk up behind him and kiss his head and of course I always when I did it I could always smell him and that was like a huge thing when he was gone is that I couldn't smell him anymore and I happened to pick up the hat one day and it was obviously one of the things that never got washed and it was like oh I could smell him it was so like relieving to me to know that he was still like there was still something there. He was a tough guy. He um, he was very loving and caring. Um, he was a good person. The first time we realized that there was a problem was his son's wedding, and he lost control of his bladder and wasn't being 
wasn't able to control it. And he was having issues at his son's wedding and it was embarrassing for him, very embarrassing for him because he couldn't go 15 minutes without having to have to find a bathroom. And I knew that was more than just overactive bladder. We got in touch with a urologist outside of the VA. And that urologist was the one that discovered the cancer. He got to the point where he had to be near a bathroom. And we couldn't, we couldn't do things like, we bought kayaks to go kayaking. We couldn't go kayaking. We couldn't, we couldn't do things that, we used to, we couldn't even go to the, the mall because if he got too far from a bathroom, it wasn't, he, he couldn't do it. He just, and he got to the point where he really didn't want to go anywhere. He never complained about pain. He was a Marine. Don would not touch a wheelchair or a walker or a pair of crutches. I mean, would not, if he had to go into the hospital for something and you know how they wheel you out in a wheelchair at the end of the day, mm -mm, he, and I don't know how many nurses he'd get in a fight with over that because he was not going in that wheelchair. He would not use until five days before he died. I'm sorry. We went to the doctor. He was so weak and it was bad. It was really bad. And I had all I could do to get him out to the car. I literally had to take chairs and stage him. Then he took a few steps and sat down and got him out to the car. And after I got him out to the car, we got him to the doctor's office. When I got him there, he says, you're gonna have to go in and get me a wheelchair. And I just looked at him and said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, are you okay with it? And he said, yeah. I knew he had given up, he had given up. Well, it was the end, and it was. It was five days before he died. Yeah, so this Vietnam vet infantry, uh, just a man's man, and to have her talk about him being at um, his son's wedding and losing control of his bladder for the first time and being embarrassed at his son's wedding. It, like, this is the toughest guy in the world in the most awkward position. And then talking about him refusing to use a wheelchair because he was too tough to do that. He wasn't mm -hmm. gonna use a wheelchair throughout his treatment. And then a few days before he died saying, Don, I need the wheelchair and her knowing that the end was near. I mean, there's just these, the symbolism was incredible and to have her share that with me um, I mean it was incredible but to have her be willing to take this real intimate moment for her and her family and to share it really with the whole world we posted the thing on YouTube I mean anyone in, in the whole world can see these very personal moments for her um, and her family and Don who's no longer with us for the purpose of letting other victims know hey, you're not the only one going through this. This is, um, we're going through this too. And yeah, I'm, I'm gonna you know, stand up and say what happened and, and let everybody know publicly as opposed to privately. And I know I, I certainly respect a lot of people's privacy, uh, but sharing is important and letting other people in the community know what happened is important in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, and and to, to watch this video, um, and other King Law videos, you can go to King Law, or you can go to RobertKingLawFirm.com and scroll down to the bottom, or you can just go to King Law um, on YouTube. Um, and yeah, it was unbelievably um, powerful video right there. Um, let's let's transition over uh, to something else that often takes place when we look at these cases and once issues like maybe toxic exposure or um, caregiver benefits, things of this nature um, are in the spotlight is you'll find misinformation, you'll find scammers. Um, have you heard of any inf misinformation going on either through social media or word of mouth? And, and what advice do you have for people who might be worried um, that they're receiving misinformation? 
Yeah, I think there's a big spectrum of that, and there's always going to be scams. But I can tell you Don Green, who's one of my very best clients, mm-hmm. Don told me, I mean, this is a smart woman, and she said, I thought this was fake. She said, I would have never called except I knew Greg, and I've known him since he was two years old. Other than that, and I called him on his cell phone and said, is this real? That was her question, not how do you do it? What do you do? Just this one question. Is this real? And, mm-hmm. and obviously she knows now it is real. It's the PACT Act. It's the thing that you saw John Stewart talking about. It's the thing that AMBETS has been so involved in. It, it's part of the PACT Act and it is real. Uh, but then what are the, the scams that are out there? Uh, I don't exactly know. I was telling you earlier yesterday, I was meeting with a veteran and his family at his house and, and, one of them got a text message that said your settlement check regarding camp lejeune is ready that's what the tech click here to claim mm-hmm. that's not real that right. th- these cases have not been settled as far as i know not a single one has been settled to this point and then you go to a website and it's fill out this form and and what happens at that point i don't really know um, there are very aggressive marketing tactics um one of the one of the ones that we're seeing that I think is problematic is these fake settlement checks that say issued by the department or the United States Department of Treasury. There is not, uh, there haven't been settlements and people who say there have been settlements regarding this, they're they're not being truthful. Um, There's different marketing strategies. I, I try to ignore them, honestly, because it's, we're trying to represent our people and it's, I don't want to get in the weeds of what's right and wrong in regards to lawyer marketing, but it, it can become frustrating. Sure. Yeah. You you spoke earlier about um, the um, the the narrative, um, the oftentimes false narrative about uh, lawyers uh, and attorneys uh, that can be you know can swirl around. Uh, but we're talking about a a lawsuit and a health concern that can. Um, if, if not for that affected veteran or service member, uh, perhaps uh, help their families uh, you know, set themselves up for the future if, you know, God forbid that veteran passes. Why is it so important that veterans should at least hear out their options? Yeah, I think everyone who was at Camp Lejeune who has had illnesses should talk to an attorney. And I want to be really clear that if that's me, that's great. If it's not me, that's great too. Uh, that's not that's not what I'm here to do is really try to dispel some of those myths. And mm-hmm. I think you should you should talk to a reputable attorney and, and say, well, what does this mean? I can't give legal advice over the radio, but find out in your specific situation. So first of all, what are we looking at? Were you at Camp Lejeune for 30 days? Mm-hmm or more, and it doesn't have to be all at the same time, but almost everybody was, were you exposed to toxic water? And do you have an illness related to toxic water exposure? Those are the big questions that a lawyer should be asking of you. And then I think the frustration with a lot of veterans that I've talked to, um, and this goes back to one of my one of my guys, Jim, he has bladder cancer and he's from Canadagua. Um, he's been a real um, blessing to me. He's very good at communicating the view from the veteran's perspective. He was in marketing when he was, uh, and he's he's helped me some with uh, what we're talking about. You know, a lot of law firms, a lot of marketing agents, they want to take all our information. We need answers. The veteran needs answers, and, and the lawyer should be providing answers to you. They should be providing information to you. Uh, so I forgot the original question, though. Um. Just in general, why, like you said, not maybe not you yourself, but should at least talk to a lawyer, try to figure out their options. Um, yeah, so it, what this case is about, what you can do is bring a claim for money. Mm-hmm. And money, it's insensitive and nobody wants to talk about money, but that's what this case is, is a veteran or someone who's exposed at Lejeune can make a claim for money. And you know, one of the great questions is, well, how much money are we talking about? And anyone who tells you they know, they don't really know. And if they say they do, they're not telling the truth, in my opinion. But you can look at other cases uh, that have settled recently uh, 
because of toxic exposure, whether that be Roundup cases or Paraquat cases or where people have been exposed to toxic substances and they have got cancer. And there's there's a whole bunch of different illnesses in Camp Lejeune. There's more different illnesses. Some of them are more serious. Uh, but this is a large amount of money. This is, we can tell from other cases where people have got cancer from toxic exposure. You're talking about, I would say, hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially more than that in mm -hmm. some instances. But when you talk about damages in a law case, you're talking about actual economic loss. So for example, we represent a person who had a plumbing business and he was diagnosed with um, nerve damage and nerve disease due to toxic exposure. He was making about $500,000 a year running his plumbing business. Well, he can't do that anymore. So his economic loss, his economic loss would be the money he can't earn because he can't go to work anymore. And he had a very high income. So we're going to claim that he's lost money because he can't go to work because of toxic exposure. That's probably an extreme example, but that's a real case that we're mm -hmm. handling. Uh, and then separate and apart from that, you have pain and suffering. And the question that I ask people when I meet them on the street is, well, how much would you pay to not die of cancer? How much would you pay, Miles? Uh, whatever's in my pocket and then some, for sure. Right. That's uh, So it's a little probably more complex than that. I mean, I'm sure if you had a billion dollars in the bank, you'd probably mm -hmm. pay it, right? Right. Uh, is everybody getting a billion dollars? No, they're mm -hmm. not. Uh, but that's what we look at. And some of the other settlements that I talked about, whether it be against uh, a big national company who's uh, done things they shouldn't have, there's a limited amount of money. Well, the wrinkle here is it's the federal government. Mm -hmm. The federal government's not um, not a private company. There's not a settlement fund. And that was some of the question when the law was getting passed is how is this going to be funded? It, it's everybody, there's not a limited pool of money here. And anybody mm -hmm. who tells you that there's a limited settlement fund, uh, in my opinion, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so I think it's, I think it is large amounts of money, and if you were there, my person, this is me, Robert King, the person speaking, if you were there and you were exposed and you have an illness because of that, the government has created a right for you. They have said, you have the, uh, we want to right this wrong. This law was passed. They did not have to pass the law. The law was passed specifically for you, uh, I, I think you should at least investigate whether or not you would like to go forward with that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a it's a question, you know, what does that mean for you? But also, what does it mean for your family going forward? Um, just a side note: people can bring claims on behalf of a lot of claims are being brought on behalf of the deceased. Mm -hmm. Parents were at Lejeune, um, another really crazy scenario uh, of a, a family, six kids, they all lived on Lejeune for many years with their parents. Um, every single one of those kids, uh, they lived in, in one of the highly toxic areas, wow. uh, Tarawa Terrace, which is where the dry cleaner was putting um, chemicals into the groundwater. Mm -hmm. They're all sick. Their parents are both deceased, so we're representing all six kids, and they're bringing claims on behalf of their deceased parents who wow. were who were there also. So that's one of the more incredibly tragic, sad, yeah, right. tragic. Uh, and we have a couple of those where the whole family, especially in the family housing, uh, was a very highly toxic area at Lejeune for about twenty years. I'm looking through more of this page because uh, you've got so much laid out here there are, there's testimony there's frequently asked questions there it explains to you step by step what happens when you file uh, a claim um, and I, I got to a part or a part here um, which really kind of ties in uh, what you're doing with this case and what we're sitting here talking about today is that your, your brother uh, began his career representing veterans so I'm sure you guys talked a lot and a lot about veteran issues um, and things of that nature. And then you're a personal uh, injury 
lawyer and just that that tie-in right there is kind of um i don't know it really struck me for a second yeah, that's one of the I can talk about it a little. It's one of the challenges of, of the case from the legal perspective is we're working really hard to to be good lawyers and to understand all the legal issues and how toxic water moves through the ground mm-hmm. and 50 different types of illnesses and how people move throughout the base at Lejeune. And we're trying to like be lawyers and we can never truly understand what a marine went through right we were not there and anyone who really understands what a marine does on a daily basis uh, they probably don't understand what you have to do in the courtroom so it's a lot of people coming together Um, I spent the other night I spent three hours on the phone with a guy who was a master gunnery sergeant retired and his job was to check people in to Geiger that was where they came in uh, for infantry training and just the the act of understanding how the people came off the bus and got put into the barracks and got assigned to um, go to the rifle range and we were really interested in the water how did they drink water where did the water come from how did they drink water when they were out in the field where did the water um, come from all this stuff it's it's a crazy project but yeah my brother's name's Jerry and he he had the VA, VA fellowship afterwards so he does have some experience with veterans and that's that's kind of an example of melding the the two together I guess so where would you say that we are right now um, in any kind of litigation when it comes to Camp Lejeune toxic exposure and where do you see us in the future yeah so we're in the early stages of the Camp Lejeune litigation there's a requirement in the law that's uh, notice of intention to file a claim or an administrative claim that's a six-month window so everybody's filing these administrative claims and this legislation is or litigations are going to really start kicking off aggressively around March of next year six months okay. after uh, and, and that is going to set the stage for other similar litigations in my opinion there there is no doubt that there are other military bases with significant toxic exposure. And the question for all the listeners and and all the politicians is, what are we gonna do at those other bases? Is it going to be like Lejeune? Or is it going to be more like the, the veterans program? Is there gonna be a separate court set up somewhere? Interesting, is, are there, is there gonna be like a set you know, standard that we work off of right is this are we going to use the framework that was created in the pact act through the work of the veterans service agencies like amvets um, the legislative initiatives guys like john stewart are we going to use the framework that is created here does this framework make sense to our society does it make sense to our veteran organizations is this the framework going forward or can it be improved on or did we go too far this law, for the lawyer nerds out there, is very favorable to veterans. Uh, and the concern in some political communities is it went too far for veterans, that it's gonna be very expensive because of the benefit that it gave to this group of veterans. And I think some veterans are kind of looking at like, why do those guys that were at Lejeune have this right that I don't have? And you know that's the question. Is it going to be similar for people who were at Red Hill, mm-hmm. people who were at Fort Drum, people who were at X Air Force Base, people who were at Y Air Force Base, where there's all these, and they, they don't have to be the same toxic exposures, but toxic exposure, giving people generally cancer or major deficiencies of major organs like liver, heart, kidneys, lungs, things like that. and. I think all veterans should be watching Lejeune closely, hmm. even if you're not a Marine. It's it's important, and it's something that the politicians and the service agencies, organizations should monitor. Is this the path forward? And and my prediction is yes. This is the path forward. We're gonna see, we're gonna see similar litigations, in other places. Absolutely, service members can definitely be keeping an eye on the the Camp Lejeune, um, you know, Pact Act. Uh, fortuitous uh, 
they're just kind of continuation because you know there there are constantly reports of um, army bases that have uh, black mold um, and a couple other uh, concerns of that nature. Uh, so when it goes back to some of those themes of what do we owe our veterans? What do we owe our veterans? And what standards of living do we have to demand? And mm-hmm. it's like, and it's also looking at how you have a guy like John Stewart who's in the public sphere, who's using that public access to bring together organizations that maybe don't always work together that much and politicians and the community at large, our citizens, in order to drive on veterans' issues. Is that the path forward? Is that what continues to happen in the future? Or or does it degrade for whatever reason and you don't have that same legislative organization? Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I didn't think of, and uh, a media tie as well, which is really interesting. You know, yeah. John Stewart was able to get on just about every uh, station and and tell the American public, not just the the veteran and military community, what's going on. Right, and I think he did it in like 13 seconds, right? Yeah. That's the, the TikTok uh, version. Like Very can, to the point. We can do this in 13 seconds, and he very clearly stated that this was not right, and uh, shortly thereafter, action was taken. So, And I think, shout out to AMVETS, Rolling to Remember um, was central in all of that, uh, the build up to the PACT Act, and I know that's planning is underway for that for the spring i saw some stuff on facebook people are planning their roots and all that yeah yep people are planning on coming back to to rolling to remember hopefully um you know it would be interesting to have um either a some sort of lejeune lejeune stand down or stand down of another issue you know rolling to remember we tend to focus on our, our missing in action over eighty thousand missing action that are still you know being uncovered from several conflicts or the veteran suicide uh, crisis awareness towards that. Um, But it was, yeah, it was really interesting to have John there, to have several um, media outlets turn out um, on that stage. Um, And I I think it was a big boost. So when... It's an interesting time of year. Sorry, I know you got another question, but sorry to cut you off there. It's also interesting. It's spring. Mm -hmm. Everybody's coming to D.C. All the organizations, are, all the big shots are there. And it's like kind of like that time of year when there's a lot of energy you know it's like what's the what's going to be the big issue next year yeah you know there's always another issue and uh hopefully that's a springboard event for the next really good issue and maybe it's a continuation of this one yeah absolutely um so veterans need to be seeking out an, an attorney um to just talk about what they're what their options can be, what they're looking at moving forward. Um, do you have any tips for ways veterans should go about uh, seeking an attorney, or what they should look for when they're talking to one? Yeah, and I think that's the. I think step one is, in my opinion, this is a really serious case. You should be talking to a lawyer. I think there are places where you can get call centers, and there's places. If I was the consumer. I would like to speak to an attorney mm-hmm. and not that there can't be people who help with the intake process who get some basic information but you should at least have the the option of getting your questions answered by a lawyer and, and I think it's as simple as they if they can't answer the person you're talking to who the lawyer is and where they are are they really giving you the type of legal advice that you need to make an important decision mm-hmm uh, and, and if I was the consumer, I would ask, you know, why are you interested in this? Why are you doing these cases? And what particular experience do you have? Um, we talked about it kind of beforehand, but like, what's your why? My why was I sat down at the table with Fred and he said to me, I'm going to be gone before this case is over. Can you do your best to help my wife get through this process? I want to see it to conclusion. And I said, yes, I will do that. I will do it the best I can. And there's a lot of other really great lawyers that are working on Camp Lejeune cases. There are dedicated attorneys from a lot of different law firms who are devoting their entire life to representing veterans. Mm -hmm. And find those people, whether that's me or somebody else. The people who care about it really do care about it. And I think the flip side to that is, are you a mega firm who jumps from one way to make a dollar to another 
and we're doing this I'm doing this because my boss told me I'm doing this or I'm doing this because it's the cool thing at the national conference right now and I think veterans know they're smart enough to know if people care about them that's it's pretty basic but find somebody who cares about you find somebody who has the ability to fight for you and find someone who's going to fight for you those are that's what a good lawyer does in in any world absolutely and you can find robert king and the king law firm at robertkinglawfirm.com you can find robert king on linkedin and you can find many of these testimonies at king law on youtube uh so Mr. King, thank you again so much for your time. Is there is there anything that maybe we missed or that we want to touch on before we go? No, I'd just say it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, just to close the loop on the AMVETS National Convention, um, you know, I walked in there and I was confident in myself, what I believed, but it has been one of the real highlights of my legal career. Um, to give this talk and I think it was about nine or ten minutes it's on there and to get a really great ovation from the AMBETS members and we will and, and the next guy starts talking and, and I'm sitting in the front row and people are walking up to me trying to talk to me while the other guy's talking and uh, we walked out that night we we're at the hotel and at the hotel bar and and a couple guys said let me buy you a beer I'm like I think that's the first time anybody, any veteran asked to buy the lawyer a beer. That was pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just the amount of support from the AMBETS community that day. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, it's, it was a validation for me personally that you're on the right track. And, and every person said, like, you spoke to us and, and it was, okay, we're doing the right things. Yeah. And, um, this it's a really special organization, AMBETS, and it was just a privilege to be part of the national convention. Met people from all over the United States, Facebook friends, keeping in touch. I'm a sponsor of a barbecue in in St. Louis. I'm going to the Rolling to Remember next year, and uh, met people from Florida and California and everywhere. It's just a it's a really great organization, and I can't thank you enough for including me. Yeah, um, it, they felt that genuine connection. Actually, that that gentleman. Um, I don't, I can't, you work specifically for uh, commissaries, not just uh, the, or no, the exchange, I'm sorry, uh, he was in the exchange representative, and he got up there, and he said, it's going to be very hard to follow that up, and, um, and you know, our members are, are true and genuine, uh, as your, your speech was, they'll let you know if they, if they enjoyed it, if they really felt that connection, and were empowered by it, and uh, they'll, they'll be silenced if they don't feel that way, and they definitely... Uh, acted, you know, in the, in the first way. And um, yeah, thank you for, for being there. Thank you for being with us here today. Um, and we've really enjoyed this. 